Hi, I'm Daryl Bailey. Thank you for tuning us in, Servants for Christ, as we continue on in the life of the Apostle Paul, here as we pick back up in his sixth missionary journey, AD 49 to AD 51. And so, when we look, I want to invite everyone to come and be with us at Bethel Crossroads Baptist Church on behalf of Pastor Keith Dempsey. Be with us for Sunday School 10 a.m., Sunday morning worship at 11, and also Come and be more kids for Christ on Wednesday nights and adult Bible study at seven o'clock in the old fellowship uh, hall. Please, what are you doing Sunday? The Bible says, let us consider one another to provoke and stir up unto love and to good works, not the forsaken of ourselves together uh, as the matter of some is, but exhorting, in other words, encouraging uh, one another and so much the more that you see the day approaching. Please come and be with us if you're not already attended somewhere this coming Sunday. We're located at 450 Iron Hill Road, Taylorsville Baptist, Taylorsville, Georgia, 30178. Come and be with us. Now, when we get into uh, our study on the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, here we look at Paul's conversion at Philippi. This is the 14th in this series of the life of the Apostle Paul. Here, Sunday night, October the 22nd, the 7th of Chesvon, 5784, the Hebrew calendar. As we look at the 16th chapter of Acts, it records yet another illustration of God's turning bad circumstances into spiritual victory. And so falsely accused, savagely beaten, and unjustly imprisoned, Paul and Silas, they saw God use these circumstances to bring salvation to an entire household. Amen. And so here, this chapter moves to the results of Paul's miraculous deliverance of a demon-possessed girl in verses 16, 17, and 18. And then his ministry had made its first beachhead in Europe at the important, very important city of Philippi, along with his fellow missionaries, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. He evangelized a group of women. You know why? It took at least 10 men for the synagogue, and he couldn't even find that. And he said, well, you know what? We went down by the riverside, and if the men don't want it, we'll go ahead and minister to the ladies. And so here, he evangelized a group of women, both Jews and proselytes. One of the proselytes was Lydia that was converted along with her household in verses 14 and 15. And then the Philippian church was born. Praise God. Satan was quick to react, attempting to infiltrate the young fellowship with a demon-possessed medium. But when Paul's miraculous power came on the scene, Satan tried to destroy the church through persecution. And there's always his two avenues of attack. Infiltration, attacking the church from within, and persecution, attacking it from without. And I'm glad that we see the failure of Satan's attack through the persecution, as God used that persecution to expand the Philippian church. God's marvelous turning of persecution into triumph. Hallelujah. And so I thank God how we see that Paul does a tremendous conversion at Philippi, where Europe starts the gospel out. And so, Paul's missionary journeys, he used the amazing Roman road network, and sometimes by sea, to travel across Israel, Syria, Turkey, Greece, uh, Italy, 
uh, a lot of the details were included in the book of Acts in strong details, but most biblical scholars agree that Paul would have uh, uh, traveled over 10,000 miles by foot. That would be equal to walking between New York and Los Angeles nearly four times. So when you read the book of Acts, you begin to realize that Paul's missionary journeys were not an easy walk. Paul gives us a, a small a small insight into his journeys, and I'm glad in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26, 25, 26, and 27, he gives us a description of that. He says, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a, a night and a day I've been in the deep, and just think of all of uh, the book of Acts and how the travel log was full of adventures. Paul's second missionary journey had him traveling around the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. And his route, it started in none other than Jerusalem. And then he traveled north through Syria, then west through Turkey, then even further west to Greece. Finally, he traveled back home all along the shoreline of Greece and Turkey. And so when uh, we look at Paul's second missionary journey, amen, uh, as he takes off. Here we see the start of another wonderful uh, ministry as the travelers of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, Priscilla, and Aquina. The main route, as I said, Syria, Turkey, Greece, and Jerusalem, and the distance travel once he gets done with this entire second missionary journey, 2,800 miles. Whoa, wow. Man, I'm going to tell you, you would have thought he was in a modern day time, but Paul got with it. And he began to turn to churn on. And so we see that uh, they had left uh, Antioch in Syria, had traveled the entire length of Antolia. But in all of that uh, time, there had been a, not, not had been one single convert. Instead, they found the Lord closing doors at every turn. They'd come all the way to the coast and now had gotten on a boat headed west so that uh, they could come to Europe. And I'm glad that the arrival in Philippi, whoo, man, hallelujah, uh, as uh, Troas took its name from the nearby ancient city of Troy, well, the two cities are not actually that close to one another, but Troas was still a port city. Troy was now a good distance from the sea, and a straight course, uh, putting out to the sea from Troas, they ran a straight course to uh, Samotras on the day of Neapolis, and the path traveled by Paul and company had been anything but straight up to this point. They'd been traveling through Antonio. They found the door shut in another province, which they directed their steps. And when they came to Troas, Paul had a vision, the Macedonian man. Woo! It was a man, listen, that uh, from Macedonia that was asking for help. And it took as a sign from God that they were determined to go there no matter what, get it on board a ship. They were taken on a straight course to uh, ne Neapolis. And Neapolis, the modern port city of Kabbalah that stands astride the ruins of the ancient Neapolis, the name Neapolis means new city. And uh, it was a new city. It was a new port built to, in, in the service of the region. But from fear, it was a 10-mile trip inland to the city of Philippi. Wow. Huh. And so Philippi was a cold city. And uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, uh, there on the Sabbath, they went out and uh, they began to go uh, by the riverside where prayer was 
going to be made. They sat down, they spake unto a woman, and at Philippi, he was unable to follow all of the practice of all the things that would take place there uh, to get people to come into the synagogue and be in a synagogue. And so he just went down by the riverside, hallelujah, and he began to have a meeting right down there by the river, hallelujah. And so I'm glad that the Jewish rule was that it required 10 men before a synagogue could be formed and no amount of women could make up the lack if the required number of men were missing. And so for the first few days, he seemed to have went all over, skirt the city, making inquiries, looking for a friendly face. And when the Sabbath came, he knew where to go. He said, I'm going on over there by uh, the riverside, amen, in Philippi. And we're going to have us a get to go, hallelujah, meeting. And I'm glad that they got over. Paul made it for the place on the banks of the Genghis River. You can picture the courageous, uh, uh, as Paul introduced himself and Silas being from Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, the special interest that began to take place, man, there was Timothy and Luke, and the woman would look curiously at Luke, especially if he was a Greek. But before long, the group by the river would be all of a sudden in a meeting with a story told about Jesus. Boy, only a small congregation with an outpost of the empire to be stormed and taken for the kingdom of God. And Paul, hallelujah, had a great opportunity and he took advantage of it. Small things can grow into big things, amen? And so Paul set out his first European conquest that he might have something to show for it and it was successful, amen. Boy, I thank God when we look at how uh, this map tells us and in the directions. Here, I showed this last time, and I'm not going to spend on it long, because it's the timeline of Paul's missionary journeys. As he was converted on AD 37, uh, it goes all the way quickly, and um, to his death, where he's in prison in Rome, and uh, he's martyred under Nero's persecution, where they chop his head off. Paul goes all the way, hallelujah. I'm glad that he didn't hold nothing back. He was dedicated to do the work of the Lord, amen. And I'm glad that when Paul reached Rome, he calls on the chief uh, of the Jews. He speaks to him. Uh, he's safe in Malta where he has a home. He uh, preaches without conflicts. Goes all the way to Nero before it ends for him. Paul had a great race and he went all the way for the Lord. Don't you want to do that? And so, Father, as we get to the scripture, we open up in the power of prayer. And we ask God that you can do things that no one else can do. Lord, I don't care what anybody says or where they're from or what side of town they own. It doesn't matter to you. You love them. You've got mercy and grace to bestow. And Lord, I pray God that if we would just react to it, if we would use what power of prayer that we have, we can accomplish great things. Now, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll reach out through this message and touch somebody's heart. That's listening. And God, I thank God that every one of us, we've got a Philippi close by us that we can go down by the riverside and share the goodness of God on the job, at our college, at our workplace, wherever we are, may we go down by the riverside and begin to share. And Lord, no matter if the devil, the opposition tries to show up and bust it up and break it up, Lord, I'm glad that we'll give everything over to you, whether we're thrown in stocks or not. Lord, I'm glad no matter what, you're in control of this world, whether people realize it or not. 
And I know, Father, that you have control of our destiny in everything in America today, Father. And in the upcoming election, upcoming days, we trust all to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And so, Paul's journey to Macedonia revolutionized history because it brought the gospel, I said earlier, to Europe. And the message of the gospel spread throughout Europe because the people responded better than those in Asia and those that were in Africa. Here, you look at the bottom, the call of God to Europe, amen. Here, they were at Philippi of Macedonia. The Bible says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 16, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. Paul made plans to go to Macedonia. As I said earlier, from Troas to uh, Neopolis, the port of Philippi was a distance, man, about 150 miles, and it took them two days to make the journey. Later, the trip in the opposite direction would take five days because of the contrary winds. When you get further over in Acts chapter 20, Philippi lay 10 miles inland from Neopolis. And the way that Luke described the city would suggest that he was indeed one of its proudest citizens. Hallelujah. A Roman colony, Philippi, that meant that it was a Rome away from Rome. The emperor organized the colonies. They were ordered by Roman citizens, retired military people that they selected in places so that they would be strong pro-Roman cities in these strategic areas. And so, they, uh, though living on a foreign soil, the citizens were expected to be loyal to Rome, to obey the laws of Rome, and to give honor to the Roman emperor. In return, they were given certain political privileges, not the least of which was exemption from taxes. This was their reward for leaving their homes in Italy and relocating elsewhere. And so, here in verse 13, the Bible says that on the Sabbath they went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Here we see the commencement of that European ministry, praise God. Remember what I said, they had to have 10 men to make up a synagogue. And so on the Sabbath, he went out of the city by the riverside where prayer was made and they sat down, they spake unto the women, praise God, and they began to have them a good old meeting, man. And after checking around, as he found out about uh, the meeting by the river, uh, there was no synagogue. As I said, there wasn't enough men in the city. And so I'm glad Paul preached the gospel to these women and boy, what a blessing that was directed in their lives that they got. Their lives were changed. Many of all of them were saved. And the church of Philippi, as I said earlier, it began. Woo! Praise God. And so, a certain woman named Lydia, seller purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attend unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And so, as I said, the commencement of the European ministry. You know, here this businesswoman named Lydia was saved. She was a seller of purple. And this means that she sold dye produced from the shellfish. Fish. This dye, or uh, tecolate, came from the Mirish, uh, Mirex shellfish that, that was found in the Mediterranean Sea. And when this snail was crushed, it would give off a yellow fluid which would turn to a purple or a blue color based on the exposure to the sunlight. Now, if it was a cloudy day, it would turn purple. If it was a clear, sunny day, it would turn purple. 
Listen, thousands of these snails were needed to dye robe in purple, making the dye extremely, I mean extremely valuable, more valuable than gold in that time. And the dye was in a big demand by those who were wealthy, all of the government officials that were located in the Roman colonies, the togas, the outer robe that was made with this purple dye. Note that it was Lydia's life that was impacted by that shellfish that had to die in order to produce the dye and also a way of life for her. Her life was impacted spiritually by Jesus who died for her sins and rose from the grave. And you could say in a way that Lydia was one of the pioneer members of the Christian business, uh, business, hallelujah, women's business organization. She's a good example for anyone in business. She worshiped the Lord even though that she was successful in business. She did not let her business come before God. Business becomes a curse when it keeps you from worshiping God and putting him first in your life. Lydia was religious but lost when she came to the prayer meeting. She did not know Christ, and the Lord began to open up her heart as the light of the gospel shined in her soul, and she was saved gloriously at that prayer meeting down by the riverside. Hallelujah, man. Ain't you glad? As she identified herself with Christ by being baptized, uh, she stepped out on faith, took God at his word, and made a public testimony. She insisted that the missionaries stay at her house, and all of her household had been converted. So this was a great opportunity for Paul and his associates to teach the word of God, to establish the local church. And I'm glad that when you get over in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, we've gotta, we must not conclude that because God opened Lydia's heart, Lydia's part in her conversion was entirely passive. She attended, listened to the word that I'm glad that that word that brings the sinner to the Savior. And I'm glad the same God that ordained uh, 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 and brought Lydia to salvation. I'm glad it was Paul's witness, his uh, wonderful witness and of her trade that she had. And so when she was baptized in her household, she besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Here was the commitment of the first convert. Amen. Lydia was immediately baptized, praise God. And so there was a witness right there. She led her whole household to the Lord. And I'm glad her spouse, her children, her aged parents, her brothers, her sisters, and all of her relatives, her employees, her servants, her household, her business affairs, praise God. The significance is the Christian influence. And the witness that she bore before her household, excuse me, she lived for Christ and she witnessed all under that influence of the Spirit of God. And so she was able to reap the rewards of that. Here in Acts uh, chapter 16, verse 16, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. God, I'm glad, can do some powerful things. And so, but you know, no sooner are lost people saved than Satan begins to hinder that work. And in this case, he used a demonized girl who had made her masters wealthy by telling fortunes. And as Paul and his team went regularly to the place of prayer, still witnessing to the lost, this girl repeatedly shouted after them, these men are the servants of the Most High God who show us 
the way of salvation. Paul didn't want either the gospel or the name of God to be promoted by one of Satan's slaves. And so he cast the demon out. Amen. I'm glad. After all, Satan may speak the truth one minute, but the next minute he's going to tell a lie. <laughs> and the unsaved would not know the difference. And the owners had no concern for the girl. They were interested only in the income that she provided and how that income uh, was gone now. The conflict between money and ministry appears to be open. The only recourse was the Roman law. They saw that, you know what, they had a pretty good case because the missionaries were Jewish and they were propagating a religion not approved by the Romans. And so they will move both religious and racial prejudice that the magistrate acted rationally and did not investigate the matter. And the neglect, the neglect on their part later brought them a lot of embarrassment. Why didn't Paul and Silas plead their Roman citizenship? Maybe there wasn't time. Perhaps Paul was saving that weapon for better use later on. He and Silas were stripped. They were beaten. They were put in the city prison. It looked like the end of their witness in Philippi. But listen, uh-uh. God had other plans. Amen. Woo, thank God he always does. And so in verse 17 of Acts chapter 16, the same followed Paul and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. Can you imagine? Here's the demon even speaking out, giving praise. For just a moment, let me park here and chase a rabbit just for a minute. Because, you know, here is a dealing with some demons. From where did the demons come? Well, you know, demons are the spirit of dead, wicked men. The answer is no. Uh-uh. The wicked go to hell when they die. They do not roam the earth in a spirit form. Listen, I don't care what you see on television. I'm telling you from the word of God and its perspective. Luke chapter 16, verse 23. I know Halloween's coming up here for long, but in Luke chapter 16, verse 20, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Listen, you've been watching Hollywood and television too much, but I'm telling you from the biblical perspective, that even in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. You know what? Demons are fallen angels who were cast out of heaven along with Lucifer, a third of them. They're called familiar, unclean, evil, seducing, wicked spirits, as well as de devils or demons. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7, 8, 9, that reminds us, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found in any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Listen again. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so, you know what? When we look and realize that... Uh, as uh, all of the things that take place, even when we reminded of what take place, uh, even in the Garden of Eden with the devil uh, trying to portray uh, as a serpent as well. But I want you to know that where are demons located at? Unchained demons have freedom to roam the universe at this time. But I'm telling you, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible tells every born-again Christian for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, demons that are chained do not have freedom to roam. 
These angels are imprisoned in a place called Tartarus, or the word for hell is what it's called in 2 Peter 2.4. It's from the word uh, Tartaro, which means to bind captive in Tartarus. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. You know what? Every one of us, we look and realize that uh, uh, God is dealing uh, with all of these things in the past. He's eliminated the darkness and the demons, amen. And so there's angels in the bottomless pit that are chained, that are secure. And I know that uh, Abba Usos, Abba Usos, which is the deep word, which refers to the bottomless pit or the abyss of the immeasurable debt, that they're there. Are demons organized? Well, they're demons that have been assigned territories or nations all over the world. Why? We remember reading this about this in Daniel chapter 10 in verses 11, 12, and 13. That it's talked about that. Read about that sometime. I don't have time to get into all of this. I'm chasing a rabbit, but I don't want to chase it too far down the cotton patch. But I want to tell you, when we look and realize that demons are organized and they have certain territories, and uh, there's the angel that was mentioned in Revelation uh, chapter 9, verse 11. That was the king over the bottomless pit. Uh, that was an evil angel, an angel of Abaddon or Apollyon, which means destroyer. And so, yes, they are out there. But these demons, the way that they are, they all have names. Revelation 9, 11. They also speak because in Luke chapter 4, verses 33 and 34, that uh, they were in uh, there, a man that had an unclean spirit that cried out with a loud voice. And, and so uh, they recognized uh, who Jesus was. They was the Holy One of God. They also possessed these demons' intelligence. They knew Jesus, amen. And, and so they know of future damnations that are going to take place. According to Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, uh, and behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? They knew the saved from the lost, amen. In Acts chapter 16, here we see that, that it came to pass that as he went to prayer, a certain damsel uh, that we read about had the spirit of divination, amen. And, and so here we see demons experience emotion as well. And so uh, all of the things that were taking place, Paul commanded the demon and his woman to come out of her instead of becoming bitter as an offender. And in verse 18 of Acts chapter 16, and this did she many days, but Paul being grieved turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, and he came out the same hour. Now the apostles were given the commission to cast out demons, but nowhere else was anyone else given a commission to do that. No one else is there anything in the New Testament about uh, uh, having to go and cast out a demon or how that uh, if you're born again of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, you know what? A, a demon can, uh, it can have a lot of influence because what do you think they do when they tempt you? <laughs> they tempt you to do sin. And when you get into that sin, sin will take you further than you want to go. And uh, longer than you ever wanted to go to get there. You know the saying of it. And so we've got to be able to be careful about 
these things. But Paul had the power to call that demon out and it came out. And I'm glad that each and every one of us as we go through life today, that uh, reminds me that uh, that demon had to leave. It couldn't hang out around no longer when the power of God came on the scene, amen. You know, we have Jesus and we have access to God. He's the door. He is that door, praise God. And so he, when Paul commanded that demon in this woman to come out of her, I'm glad instead of becoming bitter at his offender, he focused on her need and her need was Jesus Christ, amen. And so the, uh, the famous uh, escape artist Houdini uh, could get out of any set of handcuffs or any straitjacket that had ever been placed on him, you know, upon him. In fact, he could release himself from almost any enclosure in less than one minute. Only once, listen, only once did Houdini uh, fail. You know, I'm glad that salvation released us from the bondage of entrapment. But old Houdini failed one time, and that incident occurred when he was turned to the British Isles, arriving at a very small town, he agreed to demonstrate his ability by uh, escaping from a, a local jail cell. And, you know, he looked at the, the cell door. It was ordinary looking, and he smiled. This is going to be simple. When driven all of a sudden to uh, get in there and pick that lock, but he was unable to pick it. The frustration, he tried every device that he knew to pick the door but nothing happened. He worked two more hours, but to no avail. Finally, completely exhausted, he fell against the door in defeat, but immediately the door sprang open. In his frustration, due to all of the fact that the door had never been locked at all. And so, you know what? Satan has deceived many poor sinners that have come seeking to find a way to open the door of God's salvation. They work, they cry, they fret, they sweat, they pray. They try every way possible to bring release to their captive souls. And yet it is only when sinners fall exhausted from their own efforts and rest against the door of Jesus Christ that they find the immediate release that they so desperately need. Salvation is found by trusting and resting in him. Boy, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me and the power of Jesus' name. I'm glad that the false witness was a barrage, amen. And so we can go forward no matter what. Here we begin to realize in verse 19, and when her master saw that the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas, drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. And so the opposition is trying to take over because of the power of money and greed that's pictured. Money and greed that causes an outcry here against the opposition, against the gospel, amen. And so they're dragged uh, violently. Uh, the magistrates in the Greek city were the governors or the rulers, and they were equal to the consuls in the Roman government. Money and greed caused false charges. And so, you know what? It's, it's sad when stuff like this happens. The charges that were brought against the believers of Paul and Silas and them, amen, as they were doing everything that they needed to do. Money and greed caused corruption of public officials. In verse 20, and brought them to the magistrate, saying these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. And so what a racist charge for this that was being brought against them, amen. And so it's sad uh, when stuff like this happens and it takes off and all of a sudden these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Oh, man. And so in verse 21, 
and teach custom which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Here the opposition ones come to uh, uh, opposition comes to a powerful witness, amen. No matter who or what it is, he goes on. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And so I'm glad the Lord said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. And so the great tragedy of so many in the world is that they put selfish greed and money before people. And it's because of selfishness that so many influential people attack genuine believers. But Christ changes lives. He changes the immoral to moral, the unjust to just, the dishonest to honest, the prideful to un, uh, humble, and the powerful to the servant, wealthy to the benevolent, the authoritarian to the helpful, and all of the things in life. I'm glad those that are unwilling to truly sacrifice themselves and their money to help the desperate of the world, they oppose anything that requires them to sacrifice their selfishness. They'll give, they'll help enough to solve they're, uh, 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 and put over a little cream on their conscience, but not sacrificially. Much of what man does and enjoy is built upon the immoral, unjust, dishonest, and selfish treatment of others as gratification, money, position, um, employment, pleasure, social life. And uh, when the believer proclaims righteousness, he can expect to be opposed uh, every time. The mob was infuriated. And so, and when they had laid many stripes upon him, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Here, as we said, opposition comes to an uncompromising witness. Here, as they're scourged, as they go through this, Paul uh, and Silas were thrashed, beaten, until their poor backs were a mass of cuts and whelps and bruises, and every nerve screaming with pain. They were locked up in jail. And, uh, boy, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, of all the the, the heartaches that they went through, Satan uh, continues to try to keep us discouraged and down and out and in the blues, but I'm glad God's work continues on as they were bent, twisted, uncomfortable, crooked in all of the positions of these things, the position of the body that could cause cramping of the muscles that was really giving them a hard time. You know what? When they throw them in the stocks here in a minute, they couldn't go to the bathroom. Why? They couldn't relieve themselves. Uh, they had to they had to use their clothes uh, as a bathroom uh, to attract all the flies, uh, the diaper rash, all of the things that uh, that was taking place during that time. Rats that would nip at their body, flies and gnats and mosquitoes that buzz buzz around and harass and bite them and sting them. Bites from the horse flies that were painful, infectious, uh, infectious to human with parasites that would breed in mammals. And so all of the opposition, the resistant, the stubborn. But listen. God was still in control. He cared for Paul, and he cares for you and I, no matter what setback, no matter what trial, no matter what loss, and no matter what suffering, because he says, cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'm glad each and every one of us can continue to go forward as we close out. Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, and made their feet fast in the stocks. Lastly, at verse 24 of the persecution. You know, it reminds us of the book, Keep a Quiet Heart by Elizabeth Elliot. That uh, the chapter was entitled Lost and Found. It was a story that came from Brenda Fultz of Princeton, 
uh, Minnesota. And Brenda was a young woman who was invited to go rock climbing. Although she was scared to death, she went with her group to a tremendous uh, granite cliff. In spite of her fear, she put on all of the climbing gear, took a rope, hold of it, started up the face of that granite of rock. Well, she got to a ledge where she could take a breather. And she was hanging on there. And then the safety rope snapped against Brenda's eye and knocked out her contact lenses. Well, here she was on a rock ledge with hundreds of feet uh, below her and hundreds of feet above her. And of course, she looked and she looked hoping that it landed on the ledge, but it just wasn't there. Here she was, far from home. Her sight was blurry. She was desperate. She began to get upset. So she prayed to the Lord to help her find it. Paul and Silas are in the stocks and they're having a hallelujah meeting and they begin to have a prayer meeting like you never had. So she prayed to the Lord to help her to find those contact lenses. And when she got to the top, a friend examined her eye and her clothing for the lens, but there was no contact lens to be found. She sat down, despondent with the rest of the party, waiting for the rest of them to make it up the face of the cliff. She looked out across the range after range of the mountains thinking of that Bible verse that says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And she thought, Lord, you can see all these mountains. You know every stone. You know every leaf. You know exactly where my contact lens is. Please, Lord, help me. Finally, they walked down the trail to the bottom. At the bottom, there was a new party of climbers just walking up the face of the cliff. And one of them shouted out, Hey, you guys, anybody lost a contact lens? Well, that would be startling enough. But you know, while the climber saw it, was an ant was moving slowly across the face of the rock, carrying that contact lens. And Brenda's father, being a cartoonist, when he heard about this, when she told him the incredible story of the ant and the prayer and the contact lens, he drew a picture of an ant lugging that contact lens with the words, Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it and it's awfully heavy. But if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to carry it for you. You know, in the same manner, I think that it would do some of us good to occasionally say as I close out, God, I don't know why you want me to carry this load. I can see no good in it, and it's awfully heavy. But if you want me to carry it, I will. You know what? Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding, and in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Listen, may we learn to abide by the truth each day. Paul and Silas, they are arrested for preaching. But they get to praying, and they get to praying and trusting the Lord. And God does some impressive things when we return next time. Don't forget the Romans road. Every Christian ought to know the gospel and be able to explain the gospel. Amen. For all who have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23. And then Romans 5.8. But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth 
and believe Jesus and shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In Romans 10, 13, for whosoever, that's you and me, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Is that difficult? No. You ain't got to wait on the pastor. You can walk down the Romans road, step out on faith, because when you close it all up, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved you're on your way on a journey to begin on a journey that you've never encountered before that god has just wrote your name down in the lamb's book of life boy make a commitment make a commitment with that prayer this is my prayer this was when i was young look at me now i'm old listen folks you're not going to live forever mm -mm. This card came out of an old guy that never would tell me when I challenged him about salvation. He never would tell me. I challenged him. I'd ask him about salvation. And some people, that's how they are. And so I gave him this card. Well, believe it or not, he passed. And when his wife contacted me, she found this card in his wallet. He had signed it and he had dated it. And he wanted me to do his funeral. And so... When we went and did the funeral, there was a couple other preachers. Man, we had an altar call at the graveside. You talk about people getting saved. Praise God. Make a commitment. A commitment to Christ's call. Understanding that I'm a sinner, but believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to free me from the punishment of my sin. I now receive him as my Lord and Savior. And from this day forward, I desire to live to please Christ and in placing my trust in him for the gift. Of eternal life remember that if thou shalt confess him with thy mouth the lord jesus and shall believe in thy heart that god hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved boy hope and pray that you find a conversion at your philippi down by the riverside father thank you for the amazing life of the apostle paul and i hope and pray that this reach somebody and lord that they have a story to tell of their own personal salvation that they can share with others that God began to bring a conviction upon their heart and life so much that they stepped out on faith and took you at your word and got saved. Thank you for the amazing Apostle Paul's second missionary journey in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you.